I don't know if you're like me, uh, there's been times in my life <laughs> where um, I kind of, I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you know what, I am the worst at being spiritual. I'm awful at it. Uh, I get caught up, um, I get caught up in my day-to-day grinds, what I got to do, uh, where I'm focused on, where I'm headed, what I've got to accomplish, all those things. I get really caught up. And then I, I at the end of the day, I'm sort of kind of you know, coming back, bringing it back, quieting down a little bit, and I'm like, wow, wow. I mean, if I prayed, it was sort of like a, hey God, get me out of this one kind of prayer. Or it was... Um, Lord, thanks. That was, that was really helpful. I appreciate that. You know, really deep. Really, really getting into the substance of the faith. Really focused. And then I, I look back at my day and I'm like, yeah, uh, the alarm went off um, pretty early. But I didn't set it, you know, 30 minutes earlier so that I could get out of bed and get onto my knees and, and, and have my devotion. Right? I didn't do it. I, I skipped it. Uh, let's be honest, I've been skipping it for a lot, long time. Why am I so bad at being spiritual? You know, my relationship with Jesus, not great, if I'm being honest. What's wrong with it? I'm not, you know, in scripture enough on my, you know, quiet times alone. I'm not doing all these things that I know I'm supposed to do. There's been other times in my life when I was a younger man, uh, (laughs) Even younger, I know. Uh, when I was a young man, where, uh, my, my issue is not that why am I so bad at being spiritual. Because at this time in my life, I had a lot more free time. I'd, I wasn't married, didn't have kids. Uh, obviously, no job. Um, you know, school, because that's work. Um, and, and, and so I had a lot of free time. And one of the things I noticed during that time in my life was a different question. It wasn't, why am I so bad at being spiritual? It's like, man, how did I get so good at this? I am awesome. How did I get so good at spirituality? I know that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about the Lord. He's, he's first and foremost in my thoughts. I am Superman when it comes to Jesus. And then uh, during that time in my life, I, what, what I looked around at, is I looked around at all the other people that I knew. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, shape up or ship out, friends. You know, I mean, look. Look at the boss here. I got this. What's your problem that you can't just buckle down? And, you know, do your, you know, really be spending the the five hours in prayer that you need to be spending, you know, you and and Jesus. And you really need to get, you know, deeper into the scriptures by yourself every morning at six in the morning or whatever whatever time it is. Why can't you handle it? Why can't you get a a handle on your issues, your your sins that you you struggle with and, and, and you're battling? Why can't you just, you know, beat them down? I know I have. What's wrong with you people? Okay, God, I'm not perfect, but I mean, I'm at least in B-plus territory. Maybe uh, some of you are in, in one of those two camps today. And, and you, you know, if you're in the first camp, you're probably a little bit more like, yep. If you're in the second camp, you're like, I'm not. Am I? Maybe. But what if, what if um, the way that we're conceiving of spirituality, what if the way that we approach it in our culture, in our lives, um, in this place, what if it's just wrong? What if it's just backwards? What if, and I, I know I'm treading into, into dangerous waters here among um, holy people, but what if the measure of our spirituality is not how much time we're spending alone um, with the Bible or, or how much uh, time we're spending alone praying? 
What if that's not actually it? What if it's not, how many sins did I not commit today? What if we're measuring our spirituality all wrong? What if we have entirely wrong metric? What if, and this is where this is headed, what if we don't actually genuinely deeply understand, like really understand the goal, the purpose of the gospel? We've been in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 5. Um, Ephesians 5, we've been in this, in this section where we've been talking about husbands and wives. It's been really practical, really uncomfortable, uh, especially in our culture where, like, ladies, let him lead. The guy's like, I don't want to lead. I want to play video games. Guys, lead. And, and then, uh, guys, also love your wives. Turn her from, from you know, scrubbing the floor Cinderella to, to bell the ball Cinderella. That's kind of where we've been. And then at the, at the very end of, of this section, you know, uh, Paul's been, been talking about how, how husband and wife relationship is a picture of Christ in the church and really an analogy. Uh, we, we get to this really, really pregnant, really powerful moment in Ephesians 5. And I just want us to read it together. Let's look at it. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And he pauses. He's like, that's that's a real mystery. That's a tough one. That's a deep one. But I speak concerning Christ and his church. When we start, so we're talking about spirituality. Well, let's just step back a bit. Let's just talk for, for a second. For this reason. You know that's in quotes, right? For this reason. It's in quotes. Paul, Paul's, he's been thinking about husbands and wives, and he's been talking about how um, a husband's to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And then he, and he steps back for a second. He steps all the way back, all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis 2. This is a quote from the second chapter of Genesis. And it's, it's part of the story in which God has formed uh, the woman. It says, you know, God takes like uh, one of the man's ribs out. We're not quite sure. Um, how to translate all that. But, but basically, God uses a part of the man, Adam, to form Eve, right? Um, and, and then there's this moment where it says, right after that happens, this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And if you think about it, if you think about what's going on is, is the way that God has actually created the woman. He's, he's pulled her from this guy's body. So, so when Adam first sees Eve, he's literally... Literally, literally looking at a piece of himself, right? He sees her fashioned from himself. And we know this, we know this intuitively, because we know what it's like uh, for those of you who've fallen in love, right? Where you, you're, you're the, what is it? The, um, the way that light shines on a girl, right? There's that moment. Where, and, then, and then this bizarre thing happens where you see yourself almost like reflected in her or in him, Right? You, you see a part of yourself um, there, and, and, and you're, you, you can't control it. You have to be with that person, right? Because you're seeing a bit of yourself reflected. Um, and, 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 you, you re- and you look inside, and you realize, uh, I'm sort of like this jigsaw puzzle, and there's this missing piece. There she is. I, I, I tell the story of uh, when, when I realized that Aaron was the missing piece. Right, and it, it was at a, it was on a youth group trip, and we were behind, and we were we were rushing to get out. Uh, we had to go up to the mountains or something, and and some some fool had tasked me with with organizing baggage and luggage. Fool, it was it was Doug. Doug was in charge. <laughs> Doug was in charge, and so he told me to to get the 
terrible choice. Uh, at the time, he did not know that I had no skills in, the, in this. So I'm like shoving bags into my little car and like kicking them in. And the kids are like, don't break my stuff. I'm like, you keep your mouth shut. And then, um, and then Aaron, uh, she taps me and she, and she steps in and she starts organizing the luggage. And it's like, it's like I'm like, wow, I didn't know my trunk was so big. And I swear to you, I swear to you, I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. All right. Anyway, I, it was, she, was, she was very beautiful in that moment. Let me just tell you that. All right. Anyway, so I, so I did. I saw a piece, like the, the missing piece. Here's the problem with Tom, and I, and I see her there. And so if you think about that, if you think about that, if you think about especially my life, before I went to be with Aaron, I was what? I mean, my mom did my laundry. She cooked uh, for me. I, you know, I was 26, still living at home, basically, uh, just racking up school debt. I mean, a completely, complete waste of a human being. I was just a disaster, right? And, and, and so, but if you think about my situation, it was great. It was perfect. Why would anyone ruin that? <laughs> For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The scriptures understand this. They know, guys, the struggles that, you, that we have. And they understand, in order for you to make that leap, to go to, to sacrifice everything that you have, the dependence, the comfort, the familiarity that you have with your family, in order to do that, you have to see something utterly compelling. And so what it becomes is it becomes a man's adventure, his great life story, is this moment, this movement from here I'm in the shelter and the comfort of my home, um, you know, dad goes to work and takes care of me, going from that to seeking her out and to winning her and to building something with and for her. And and then this is what's crazy, right? This is what's crazy, is that Paul says, this is Christ in the church. He says, this is a great mystery. He said, this is a great mystery. Because what's what's crazy about it is that's not just our experience in life, right? That's not just, you know, the story of, you know, boy gets girl or whatever. It's not just that. This Genesis, Adam and Eve story, the, the building of the woman out of the man and then the two becoming one, that's not just about us. It's also about Christ and the church. And if you think about that metaphor, right, or that, that, that story, right, where you, you, you go out and you go and you seize her, you can see what that might look like um, from, from Jesus' perspective, right? So before all of this mess that we're in, right, before all the problems that we've got and, and the sin and all that, before there was even humanity at all, before there was creation at all, Jesus, at the, the time, the eternal word, the son, the member of the Trinity, where do he live? He lives in heaven eternally in a, in a perfect communion of father, son, and spirit where all are in total self-giving, mutual love. It's the perfect, absolutely perfect environment. It's overwhelming with joy and satisfaction and glory and wonder and majesty. That is the eternal existence of the son. It's a lot like when I was in seminary and my buddy Mike uh, was my, my friend. He would, every morning I would wake up, it was awesome, right around, you know, 10.30 because, but, uh, and Mike was upset because I, I wasn't getting a jump on the day and so I'd wake up to the smell of coffee wafting in my nostrils and there he was sitting next to me like, hey man, ready to go? I'm like, yep. I look and he's cleaned my room for me. Uh, I, you're wondering, why did Mike do this? He was looking for a rabbit. Mike struggled a little bit with, uh, with, with academics. That's something that I'm kind of good at. 
I struggle a lot with, you know, personal hygiene. <laughs> That's something he's good at. And so we had this incredible relationship, right, where I was his rabbit. I'd help him write his papers and do his studying and all that. I would take it, and he kind of took care of the domestic side of things and kept me, kept me comfortable. And, 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 and so we had this incredible relationship. It was perfect, right? It was like this easy, you know, it was buddy system, right? That's a little bit, I mean, a little bit, tiny, fraction, sort of an idea of what it was like for the Trinity and eternity to be whole and complete and perfect in wonder. And in that situation, the word, the son, the second person, looks out from eternity and sees into the future, into the creation, into um, what's going to happen, or it's weird to speak of these things, but, but to see what will happen and to see the church coast. Here, here the word is, the, the second person of the Trinity, in utter joy, utter command, utter majesty, and looks out and sees this people right here. And what's his response? I'm leaving. She, us, must and shall go free. I must be with her. As wonderful and beautiful and powerful as as it is to be here in heaven, I must seek her out and join with her Unite with her. And then bring her back to us. Now, we're, we're dealing with metaphors here. And, it, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to say how does, like, one person of the Trinity leave the Trinity. That doesn't, that's not right. And if you have questions about some of these deeper issues and you want to get philosophical, we can do that. Set up an appointment. We'll hang out. We'll talk about it. But let's just stay with that story for a second. Let's just stay with that way of conceiving of what Jesus has done. Right? Jesus is, is part of it, and he goes out, he seeks his fortune, he seeks the church, and he must leave heaven and cleave to her. The word incarnates in Christ and cleaves to the church in self-giving love. This is the great mystery that Paul must uncover. It's how the Son leaves heaven and cleaves to the church. So you're wondering, okay, that's cool. All right, this is a great mystery. Fine, I'll kind of go with you on that. Paul's kind of using that as an image of what the, the Son has done for us. Fair enough, but what does that have to do? What does that have to do with my spiritual temperature, my spirituality, my day-to-day, like what I'm doing, right? How, how, does, how does that have anything to do with how I'm doing spiritually? Well, and that's a good question, um, and, and one of the ways that we can get at to it, we can, we can, if we dig in a little bit deeper into that difference between what Christ has done with the church and what husbands are to do with their wives, I think, I think it's going to pop out a little bit. So let, let, let's, just, let's just step back for a second. We're remembering that, remembering that, that, that Christ comes and he, he, he scrubs us clean. We talked about that last week. He dresses us up, makes us beautiful, forgives sin, does all those things. Let's step back from that for a second. Let's just, just remember what like, human husbands and wives for a moment. Now, if we go back a couple weeks, remember that a wife lets her husband lead by joining him as he pursues a great mission given to him by God, right? This is, this is kind of Paul's idea of what it is to be husband and wife. Uh, this is how a wife lets her husband lead. She intuits that you know, he's got this thing that God's put on his heart, right? Something that he's got to go do. And there's lots of different things that, that could be. I mean, you know, I know, I know some people here, one of the things they believe that they're called to do is to raise great kids, 
God-fearing kids. That's a mission that some people have here. Others I know um, want to be a pillar in the community. That's some guys I know uh, are really passionate about that, to be a a stalwart, you know, defender of the faith for the community. Others, um, like my friend Doug, love the part of their call in life is to elevate the name of God in worship and in song, uh, to give him praise. And that's a, a mission that he's been given by God. Or, uh, you know, generate uh, resources. I know there's people here who, who uh, work hard during the week so that they can have resources to give and to bless the church and to move the kingdom of God forward. That's another mission that God gives to some guys. Well, the wife's role in that is to, is to encourage and support, to be a helpmate, to kind of move things along, to, to, when he's down, to say, hang in there. When he's making a boneheaded move, be like, slow down, think about it. Before you jump right off that cliff. We're going off the cliff? Okay. That's kind of what the, 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 the wife does. That's how she lets him lead, right? These are, these are missions. These are missions that, 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 that a husband can do, um, or that a wife, the wife can help a husband do. But listen to this. Listen, I want you to hear the difference here, okay? I want you to hear the difference. So that's, you know, wife helps the husband. Paul's talking. Paul's talking about Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now remember, Christ is the husband, the bridegroom, and the bride is Tom. No. The bride is Cassie. No. The bride is Tish. No. The bride is the church. The church is the one who follows Jesus' lead, not me, not I. The church is called to live out Christ's self-giving love to the world, the world, not me. In fact, if we went back a, f- a few verses in Ephesians 5, we would hear Christ gave himself for the church. He loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, it's true that there are places where we talk about a personal relationship. Even Paul does it in Galatians 2.20. He says, Christ uh, loved me and gave himself for me. It's a different context. He's talking about um, our freedom, our liberty in Christ. It's a different situation. Right now, what he's talking about is what it looks like for the wife, the bride of Christ, to follow his lead. Why is this important? Why does it matter that it's, it's the church and, and not Tom or Will? Why does that matter? It's because of the goal. The goal of Christ's love is not to complete a mission, but a life pattern of self-giving love. The goal of Christ's love is not a completed mission, but a life pattern of self-giving love. Okay, let's just say it. So notice the difference there, right? So if, if Doug's mission is to give praise to God, give, you know, his wife can encourage and support him in that, all right? That's his mission, okay? Well, Christ isn't doing a mission. He's, he's come to, to be united to the church, to instill in her a, a pattern of his own self-giving love, right? That's what he did. He came, he showed us the way. This is what you do. You give yourself. He did it in the cross. He did it in the incarnation. And that's what our life is supposed to be. But it's a life pattern. It's not a simple task that we accomplish. There will be tasks and they will help. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is a different kind of life. A divine life, if you remember, the same kind of life that Christ himself had in the triune Godhead of constant, mutual, self-giving love.
What does that require? A life pattern of self-giving love. What's the one thing that you just can't do without? If you're going to have a life that is characterized completely by self-giving love, what can you absolutely not not have? Other people. You can't love by yourself. So my uh, buddy, my buddy Dave, he's my surf buddy. He's getting me in, in shape. My buddy Dave, he um, he has problems though. He's he's actually his birthday is just a couple of days. He's going to be turning. I'm not going to say it, um, but it's going to be 65. And uh, <laughs> and so he's he's at this point in his life. He's like a lot of these boomers, right? Boomers that get into that age where it's like, oh, what do I do? You know. It, Years ago, you, you retired at 50, 55, because you just couldn't do the work anymore. Nowadays, because our work is a little bit less challenging, you can work well into you know, what used to be retirement age. But Dave's coming to a point where he's asking questions about retirement, about what it looks like to follow Christ in this next phase of his life. What does it look like for him to have great spirituality? And Dave's the kind of guy who's always been there for other people, right? He's, he's a self-made man. He's, he works hard, and he doesn't depend on a lot of other people. And he's coming to a place in his life where his body doesn't work the way that it used to. He's getting a little scared about that. He's coming to a place in his life where he doesn't know how long he can t- continue, you know, doing all the work that he does. And he's wondering, what does it look like to be a good, faithful Christian in light of that? And one of the things I've told him, and any of you uh, men of a certain age... is that one of the things that you're called to do is let the church care for you. It's to let other people carry the load for you. It's to submit yourself to them being strong and you being weak. Because what you're doing in that is you're giving those younger people the chance to be disciples. You're giving them the opportunity to lift others up, you in this case. You're giving them the opportunity to become different and stronger and more self-giving. It is an act of your self-giving love to let them act on their self-giving love. Notice, this cannot happen in a vacuum. This requires two parties. It requires community. The church cannot participate in self-giving love alone. I have a friend um, who, uh, in seminary, he brought his friend uh, to visit, and his friend was a, um, a traveling prophet. Not really my normal brand of spirituality. What this guy would do is he would go around all summer long, and he would just travel from, like, you know, worship event to worship event. He had no church. He wasn't a part of a regular community of people. And he would just go from one place to the next, telling people, you know, whatever words of the Lord that God gave him. And he had some fascinating stories. At one time, he apparently, uh, he opened the door, or uh, the pastor of a church opened the door to him, and he said, never met the guy in his life, like, the Lord commands that you confess your embezzlement to the church. And this pastor was like, Oh no! <laughs> oh no! The spirit showed up today, and yeah, apparently he would stolen fifteen thousand dollars from the church. Uh, his name was Tom Bennett. No, I'm kidding. Oh. 
But one of the things that's so crazy about that is imagine, imagine what it's like. This guy thought that he was like the perfect Christian because he's going around and getting words from the Lord, inspiring, da da da. But he wasn't doing it in a community. He wasn't a part of anything. Imagine what the difference might have been. Oh, that church failed and collapsed, by the way. Imagine what would have happened if that had happened in a community where the church, where the, the pastor was brought in by the people who loved him. And they said, confess. They said, you need to be built up. Maybe the, the community of God would have survived. But instead it was blown out because we had this lone wolf, you know, spiritual gunslinger, walk around, him and Jesus doing their thing. Maybe your personal relationship isn't what Christ is actually after. Maybe the ultimate goal is for you to be united to God in the same kind of divine life that the Godhead lives of self-giving love. And maybe that requires that you be deeply embedded into a community of people who share it. It comes out of this, friends. This is, I know this is cheesy, but hopefully you'll remember it. The lonely way is the only way that you cannot follow Jesus. The lonely way is the only way you cannot follow Jesus. If you're doing it alone, you're not actually moving into the kind of life that God has called you to. When Christ looked out from eternity, he saw a church. He saw a community of people living this way. And if you step out of that, if you walk away from that, you're not following him. No matter how many prayers you pray, no matter how much you read the Bible on your own, no matter how many times you have a devotional, no matter how much time you spend by yourself uh, in the morning, if you are not deeply embedded with that community, you're not doing it. This is how American evangelicals measure their spirituality. These are, did I sin today? I've actually heard uh, people sit there and they say, uh, I'm, I'm on my 15th day of no sinning. Like, 15 days? Wow! That's incredible. I'm really proud of you. I, what, what's your secret? I'm like, well, just, you know, I stay in bed all day. I just, I just wait for it to end. I haven't even eaten. I'm fasting too. It's fasting too, right? <laughs> I, if, you're, if you're counting the days since you last sinned, I want to suggest to you, you have no idea what sin is. You have no idea. You do not understand the way that it corrupts you, the way that it's insidious, the way that it undermines you, the way that it traps your thoughts so you can't even see it when it's happening. American evangelicals, did I have a quiet time today? Oh, I missed it. Oh, C minus. My report card's not looking good. Uh, the Lord is displeased. Now, I'm not knocking small, quiet times, okay? It, it sounds like I am, but I'm not. I, I, I absolutely believe. I mean, one of the things that's a really powerful spiritual practice that my wife does, she listens to worship music while she runs. And I can tell you, I mean, when she comes back, it, it's, it's like, whew, I wish, I wish I felt the way that you feel. I mean, it, it changes the way she sees. And that's a good thing. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And I'm, it's, it's important. It is. You have to have these, these parts of your life that, that fill you up with the presence of the Lord where you acknowledge Him and you know Him. That's important stuff. Okay? But it's what you do with that that matters. Did I pray today? You know, 
our, our lives, honestly, should be prayer. I mean, prayer should be a constant thing that's going on between us and God. If we remember that he's with us, that he indwells us by his spirit, there's nothing that's going on that isn't prayer, friends. There's nothing that you're doing that's hidden, okay? It's, a, it's happening, okay? And so if you're sitting there being like, oh, how's my spiritual report card going? And you're like, oh, I didn't sit down and pray today. You're missing it. Here's, here's how we ought. Notice the, notice the pronouns there. I, I, I. Isn't that interesting? How we judge our spirituality. Question, what do you think was Jesus' greatest achievement when he came? Was it that he perfectly kept the law and didn't sin? I suggest to you that's really important. It is. It's incredible that the Lord came and on our behalf lived perfectly as God lives and desires us to live for us. That is amazing. But what's more amazing than that is that he came at all. What's more amazing is that he was living in perfect communion with the Godhead and he looked out and saw us and said, I have to be with you. And I don't care what it costs because it cost him a lot. It cost him being born in a stable. It cost him being hated all of his life. It cost him being tortured to death. That's what it cost him to love us. That is his achievement. That is the highest level of who God is and is revealed to be. It's not that he didn't sin, although that is absolutely critical and it's necessary. But that's not the end game. That's not the goal. And notice every single one of these questions are all about this, this law that we're setting on ourselves, this idea of this is what, you know, this is good, this is bad, and I need to, you know, chalk it all up and, and get the best score. It's a scorecard. This is how we ought to measure our spirituality. Am I embedded in a community that it costs me something to love? Now, notice the thing about cost. All right, we can say a lot of things cost us. I'm with that. I get that. There's a lot of things that can cost us. But here's the deal. When you're, when you're, really, when you're really in with Jesus, when you are 100% committed to the way that he lives, the cost is usually stuff that you, you don't like doing. It's usually things that you really actually dislike, but you're willing to do it because of your love. For those of you who are parents, you know exactly what this is happens all the time. And when I say embedded, right, embedded, that's sort of like those war reporters, they go to Afghanistan and they hang out with the grunts and they go and they see the firefights and they're filming the whole thing and they're in danger. They're, they're, they're so much a part of it that they can't get out and they're changed because of it. They're with them for, for the, the, the long haul. They, once, once, you're in, once you're in with a unit, you know, you can't just bail out in the middle of a mission. You're, you're there for the long haul. You could, you, it's, there's a firefight. There's rockets flying. You'd be cra- you can't leave. There's nothing you could do. You have to be with them. You've, you've inserted yourself and you've committed yourself. And, and, and it's a little bit scary at times because these people have a grasp on you. But that, that the result is, is that you're changed as you're with them. Do I love people so much that from fi- time to time I find myself taking one for the team? I... Uh, one of my least favorite memories is playing baseball as a child. I'm kidding, Dad. I loved playing baseball. There were a lot that I liked. But as I got older, I got worse at it, and my peers got better, and it was, it was frustrating. But I remember, I remember once um, John Vorjak was, was pitching, and he was, um, I, I don't know how he got on the team because it was a junior high league, but he was 18 or 19 years old. 
Um, and yeah, and he, you know the wispy mustache, where it's like you're like, have you hit puberty? It's it's coming. Um, he had one, and uh, and and he was on the mound. And uh, I'm, I was a terrible hitter. I was awful. I was so scared. Every time that I would get up to bat, I would, um, I would step out. So like the pitch was coming and I would do this. Right? And, and why? Why was I doing that? Self-preservation. Because John Vorjak, I mean, they, they clocked him at what? 80, 85 miles an hour? Uh, you know, 96 miles? Whatever it was. It was really, really fast. You could see the smoke coming off the ball as it came in. And I would, I, my, my thing was to just step out in self-preservation. There came a point where what I really had to do was to step into it and take one for the team. When that ball, he did, it was a little bit too inside, Borjak, he didn't have the control yet. It was coming in, it was, it was inside, and, and every part of me says, step out. Then thinking about my team, I said, oh, step in. And yeah, that hurt. But I got a base. Increased my on-base percentage from 0% to 1% for the season. No problem, fellas. We'll wrap that up later. Do you love them so much that you're willing to take one for the team? Guys, if you want to be truly spiritual, the goal here is not to count how many days you went without sinning. It's not how many times you prayed. Here's the secret to spirituality. Be a part of this community. And don't leave. Come in, or if not this one, another one. But go and find a community of faith and get deep with these people. So you just can't get out like the mafia. I want to get out, but I can't. Fall in love with them. That's the second thing. You know, it's one thing to be here. It's another thing to actually love the people. There's a long part of my life where I was not a good person, and I was around here, and I didn't feel that love uh, for the people. I've been other places where I don't feel the love of the people. And you know what that's like, where you're kind of there, but you're not all the way there. What, what you're called to do is fall in love with the people here. Because what happens is when you love them, and you see them, and you're compelled by them, and you must be with them, just as the, uh, the Christ loved the church, when that happens, you start to give yourself for them, even when it hurts, even when it costs. This is, of course, um, totally insane. I mean, to live like this is nuts. I know, because uh, I watch movies like the rest of you. I know because what I know that I'm supposed to be doing is really getting as much pleasure and as much happiness out of this life, out of this life as I possibly can. And this call, this call is instead to look out and to find something in these people that you love, that you cannot ignore, that you cannot escape, so that you must be with them. And to go and to give yourself for them, to spend yourself on their behalf in a way that you don't honestly like doing. And in that, in that, the promise is, is that you will become like God. And that you will begin to live the life that you will have for all eternity. If we live like this, and I believe that a lot of times we do in this place, when people see us, they will go from atheism to theism to Christianity. Because it will be so compelling 
that an entire people would do something so crazy and have joy in it. They will see that, and all of the arguments, all of the confusion, all that will be tossed out the window because they will see what it looks like when people live as God lives. And in that, in that, this place will be the church on the hill. This place will be the God's gift to the world. It will be Jesus to the world. We will shake the foundations of South Orange County if we just do this thing. The lonely way is the only way that you can't follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of your son looking out from eternity, looking out from heaven, looking out from perfect communion with you and seeing us and striking out to make his fortune with us, to give himself in love for us, to clean us, to dress us beautifully as his bride, to make us his, to join in union with us and to share with us your divine life. God, I pray that we as a church will be compelled to be a good bride, a bride that stands alongside him, giving ourselves to each other and to the world in love. And that in doing so, we will measure our spirituality as what we as a community give. We thank you for his perfect life, his incredible sacrifice, and the spirit he pours on us. In his name we pray, amen.